0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's good to see all of you here today. I wanna begin uh, by saying thank you. Uh, At the beginning of this month, November 1st, uh, that marked three years since I became the student minister here at Ninth Street Christian Church. And while there are definitely times where I miss Colorado, uh, we are approaching snowboarding season and that was one of my favorite things to do. Uh, We are so very thankful that God brought us to, to Eldon, Missouri. And many of you have expressed to us your appreciation for, for our ministry and uh, the influence that we get to have in the lives of your students over the past three years. And, and so I want to respond in kind this morning. Uh, on behalf of Lauren and Everett and Lennon, uh, we are so thankful for the way that you have cared for and loved our family these past three years. Um, there have been a few ups and downs in our family in that time, and, um, and you have been, as a church, should be very supportive and encouraging and loving. Um, and so I want to commend you and thank you for that. This morning we are in in between our Thanksgiving teaching series, which ended last Sunday, and our Christmas teaching series, and so whenever Chris asked me to preach this morning, he said that I could preach on whatever I want, and so uh, we'll be done here in about five minutes or so. Um, okay, not really, but um, honestly, uh, whenever I think about preaching and uh, preparing sermons, I don't like not having any parameters to follow for my sermon. I would much rather be a part of a sermon series because the Bible is a really big book and there are lots of good things in the Bible. And so how do you choose just one thing to preach on? How do you narrow it down? Uh, Well, one of the things that you learn at Bible College is that if you talk about Jesus, you probably aren't gonna go wrong. And so that's what we're gonna do today. So if you wanna turn to Mark chapter four, we're gonna get there in just a little bit, but we are gonna talk about Jesus. I hope all of you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family this past weekend. Uh, One of the blessings that we've enjoyed in moving to Eldon is that uh, we are a lot closer to our family. Uh, My family lives in the St. Louis area, and Lauren's family lives in the Kansas City area. And so Eldon, kind of right smack dab in the middle. So for the past three years, uh, we have hosted Thanksgiving. Uh, our families have known each other for a really long time, and uh, our families get along really well, and so uh, I always look forward to Thanksgiving where uh, it's the one time of the year where all of our family comes together, um, and uh, we get to do that at our house. It's a lot of fun. Uh, obviously, we love um, just getting to spend time together, eating a good meal, watching the Cowboys win football games, which is always good, um, but I just love, love Thanksgiving. Uh, whenever I was younger, uh, the holidays always meant time with family, as, as it still does, but also meant something else. My mom, every year during the holidays, wanted to take family pictures. Now, moms, show of hands, how many of you during the holidays want to take family pictures, right? Okay, put those hands up there. All right, everybody else, how many of you, when they say it's time to take a family picture, you just roll your eyes, right? Okay, that's the way it is in in my house. Now, you can Google funny family photos and just see a plethora of just ridiculous photos. And so I picked a few off, off the internet this week and wanted to share some of them with you. There's a lot of denim going on in that picture. And the next one, we got the coordinated outfits. Next one, this kid says, see you later. I'm done with these pictures. Uh, the next one, we just took family pictures with uh, baby linen, And thankfully, that didn't happen. Uh, if you can see at the bottom of the picture. And this last one is my favorite. You've maybe seen it online before. (laughs) Got a little too excited. Family pictures are always an adventure, especially if you have an Alex in your family. Alex is one of my younger brothers. He's four years younger than I am. And Alex is a, a big goofball. Uh, he's kind of a class clown. He loves uh, just being silly and, and making jokes, and I think that comes out even more uh, whenever we're together as a family, and even more so maybe when we're trying to take pictures. Uh, here's a picture of us. This is about 10 years ago. Uh, that's my grandpa there and my mom. Alex and I are in the back, and it looks as though I am trying to choke Alex, but let me assure you, Alex is the one who grabbed my hand and thrust it up to his throat to pretend like I was choking him, but that's not, not the case. Taking pictures with Alex was always an adventure. Now, of course, uh, my sister and I, uh, being older and much wiser than Alex, would always try to reason with Alex. Alex, if you would just take one good picture, then we could be done, right? That's usually how it goes, um, but no, uh, he wouldn't have it. Today, we are um, going to be talking about Jesus, and today's message is entitled, A Portrait of Jesus. I found this picture of Jesus this past week, and I think I had seen it before. Um, Maybe you've seen it before as well, but didn't really know much about it. Um, This is entitled The Prince of Peace, and it really is uh, just a fantastic painting. Um, But what makes it pretty incredible is it was painted by a uh, young lady named Akiana Krimerik whenever she was only eight years old. Um, And what's even more incredible about this painting is that Akiana's Mom was a practicing atheist and her dad was a practicing agnostic. And so she had no idea really who Jesus was, um, let alone have any idea of what he might look like because um, her parents didn't believe in that. That wasn't a part of her, her household. Uh, but whenever she was a young girl, she started having these visions. And rather than trying to explain it, she just started to to paint. And this is the result of, of that. And that's a pretty incredible pretty incredible painting, pretty incredible story. But I don't want to talk about today what Jesus looks like physically. What I want to talk about is what Jesus is like, who he was as an individual. And I want to just look at this question, who is Jesus? Is there a more important question for us to be able to answer? Who is Jesus? Is Jesus. And not just as Christians. I would say even if you aren't a Christian, how you answer this question will direct a lot of your life. And I would say that our answer to this question is, is more important than any other answer to any, any other question that we could ever be asked. Who, who is Jesus? And maybe you've tried to answer this question before and found that that it's not that not that simple. It's not really an easy question to, to try and answer. And I think the church over the years has tried to come up with answers to this questions, uh, to this question, trying to maybe make it as short and sweet and as remem- rememberable, rem- remember, memorable. Thank you. As memorable as possible. I um, I think they came up with a pretty good one. Uh, we say it all the time: Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life. Pretty good Sunday school answer. And here's the thing, don't get me wrong, I think that's a great answer, I say it a lot, uh, but I think that it still falls, falls short. Can I say that it's maybe in, incomplete? And here's another thing, I think as we try to attempt to answer this question, we can, we can run into the same issues that we have trying to describe God, right? Our, our minds, our, our language, our, our descriptions ultimately fall short, but even so, we still need to have a good answer to this question. Jesus asks his disciples this question, Matthew chapter 16. Here's what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, you, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, Peter, that's, that's a fantastic answer. Way to go. Oftentimes you see Peter sticking his foot in his mouth, but this is not one of those occasions. He gives this really good answer as to who Jesus is. If you were to look at the uh, book of John chapter 1 uh, and just read through the entire chapter, um, you could underline probably 13 or 14 or 15 different names of Jesus, different references to Jesus. Things like the word, or the true light, or the Lamb of God, or the Messiah, the Son of Man. C.S. Lewis, a famous author, uh, has tackled this question in some of his books. And everything that he's said about it has been boiled down to this very succinct statement. He says, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. Here's what he says in his book, Mere Christianity. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that of, left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend and consequently, however strange or terrifying. Or unlikely unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Who is Jesus is a pretty important question. Now let's go ahead and take a look at this video. <laughs> I think he was just a person. I don't know. Just a normal person, like us. He was a selfless person. I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was a marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't, I don't think he's the son of God. I don't, I don't believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus, he would be Jesus. I'm pretty sure he existed. Like, I'm not going to say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was Gandhi, and so was and so it's you know we're all God's children Jesus is someone I pray to well Jesus is my Lord and Savior Um, and to me is the like symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love he's sort of that like constant figure in my life jesus is also isa in arabic and he was a messenger as well he was just extremely enlightened like religiously and morally was somebody that um just tried to um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place i think he saw something that a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others and i think that's just a lot of love and and hope jesus sort of seemed like an ominous uh figure you know he just he, he was god and it was hard to relate to him but i think as i've grown in my faith a lot i've really started to see jesus as my closest friend there are a lot of pictures of who jesus is out there some of them good some of them not so good. And so I'll say again, I think this question and our answer to that question is maybe the most important answer to any question that we could ever have. I would say that I think for the most part, most of us in here, in this room, have a pretty good answer to that question. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, in your hearts, revere Christ as the Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. So the Bible calls us to be able to, to say why we believe what we believe. And I think a lot of that boils down to who, who Jesus is. But even as, as we all might have a pretty good answer, I think that we all must be cautious of having an incomplete picture of Jesus. Not necessarily wrong, just not the, the whole picture, not the entire thing. Now let's take our Lord and Savior Jesus answer for an, for an example. If we focus too much on on the Savior part, we can convince ourselves that that little sins or, or lesser sins, if there are such things, aren't that big of a deal because Jesus died for my sins and he forgives me of my sins, and so this one time doesn't really matter all that much. I think we can all agree that Savior Jesus by itself is an incomplete picture. If we focus too much on the Lord part, we can find ourselves becoming legalistic, determining Determining my faithfulness by, by how well I follow the rules, especially compared to the others around me. Again, I think we can all agree that Lord Jesus by itself is an incomplete picture. I think we're doing well when we focus on both, understanding that, that my relationship with God isn't dependent on my actions, but, but on the saving gift of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and all the while I should be striving to become more like him because his gift isn't just for my freedom, but it's ultimately for his glory. And as right and true and as good as that picture of Jesus is, can I say that, it, that if that's all we focus on, that it's incomplete. Lord and Savior Jesus is a great Jesus, but if you're only focusing on Savior Jesus and Lord Jesus, then you're, you're missing out on other aspects of, of Jesus. I think one of the simplest ways to get a better picture of Jesus is to sit down and, and read the Gospels. There are lots of ways to get a better picture of Jesus, uh, a good Sunday school class, or maybe a good Bible study, or sitting down with, with a good commentary and just going through that. Uh, but I think one of the easiest ways is for us to just sit down and read through the first four books of the New Testament, the life of Jesus. It takes a little less than an hour and a half to read through the shortest gospel, Mark. It takes a little less than two and a half hours to read straight through the, the longest gospel, which is Luke. That's about the same time it takes to watch, to watch a movie. Rather than just reading, sit down, um, have a pen, have a highlighter, make, make observations as you go, jot down questions as you read so that you can look back at them later and try and find answers. And, and here's the thing, each gospel has a little bit different view, a little bit different perspective, a little bit different picture of Jesus. John maybe highlights some things that the other gospels don't. Or, or maybe you'll look at Mark and, and Luke and maybe find some similarities, but also find some differences. And, and I think what you'll find is the more you read each gospel... The more you'll be able to add to your answer to the question, who is Jesus? As we continue this morning, we are gonna spend the next few moments reading a rather large chunk of the Gospel of, of Mark, about 65 verses in all. Don't usually do this on a Sunday morning, reading this, this many verses, but I think for our discussion, it can it can be beneficial for us today. Because I think often what happens is uh, we tend to read the Bible with a a microscope, trying to focus on every little verse, every little detail of every little verse, every word, trying to understand as much as we can. And and that's good. That's not a bad thing. That holds a lot of value for our study and our growth and our understanding of Jesus and and how we are to live our lives. But I think there's value in taking a step back and and having a a 30,000-foot view of, of a story to see the larger picture that is being portrayed. So as we think about this question, who, who is Jesus? We aren't, we aren't going to be able to answer it this morning in the sermon or you wouldn't be able to answer it in one study session. But we can begin to have a more complete picture by asking a question like, what does the Gospel of Matthew have to say about Jesus? What, what kind of picture does the Gospel of Mark paint about Jesus? That's the question we're going to ask. What, what kind of picture does Mark paint of Jesus? And before we dig into Mark, Mark chapter 4, I think it's important just to, to note a few things about Mark. First, that, that he was not an actual eyewitness of, of Jesus. He, he wasn't a disciple. He was just a writer for, for Peter, one of the other disciples. And so Peter passed on the reports of the words and deeds of Jesus to his, to his writer, John Mark. And I think this actually gives us some insight as to why uh, when you read Mark's gospel, it's especially vivid, vivid in recounting the incidents involving Peter. But here we go, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. Stepping back, taking a 30,000 foot view, because really we could, we're going to see four different stories, and we could uh, each of these different stories could be a sermon by themselves. Lots of, lots of things to dissect in these sermons, but we want to step back and, and take a, uh, a 30,000 foot view picture of, of what's happening in these verses. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. As soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the winds and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was great calm. Then he asked them, why, why are you afraid? You still have no faith. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Mark chapter five, verse one. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with the chain, Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him and, and bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, they said. Let us enter them. So, Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. Pe- people rushed out to see what had happened. The crowds who gathered around Jesus, and they saw, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowds began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No, go to your family and tell, tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of the region to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. Jesus got back into a boat again and went to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding, crowding around them. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around and in the crowd and asked, who, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched my robe? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's, there's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let, go, wouldn't let anyone go with them except Peter, James, and John. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, wow, this commotion and weeping, this child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his, and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat." Now, if we take each of these stories separate by themselves, like I said, they, they all uh, would be great sermons, great stories uh, talking about uh, Jesus doing some, some pretty important miracles. But I think uh, whenever we take a step back from our 30,000 foot view of this string of four different stories in the book of Mark, we can see this truth, that Jesus is a divine man of, of divine power. Jesus is a divine man of divine power. He had power over nature and demons. He had power over disease and sickness, and he had power over death. And I just love that, that Mark puts these four stories right in a row. Again, separate stories, they're, they're great stories, but altogether they point to the fact that Jesus is a divine man of divine power. Our son Everett is uh, three years old, just turned three a few months ago. And um, right now, his, uh, his, he's got a really vivid imagination. It's a lot of fun to, to, to see, but he, uh, he just loves kind of just playing around the house. Um, one of his favorite things to do right now is to go skiing through the house. And so he uses two different pencils as skis, and he is just uh, just running through the house skiing all over the place. Uh, we love to play catch with the football, and so he's, he's diving on his bed, catching touchdowns, um, and he can just keep himself occupied for hours, playing in his room with his toy cars or building a tower of blocks. Uh, But he has just a really vivid imagination. It's a lot of fun for us to see. I think sometimes whenever we read stories like this, we have a tendency to downplay what Jesus actually accomplishes in these stories. And so I know for me, I I have to use my imagination, try and put myself in that situation to fully grasp the power of Jesus. I've never been on uh, on a big boat whenever it's storming, but I've I've been driving whenever it's raining so hard I had to had to pull over, and that's that's pretty crazy. But that's nothing compared to a, a tsunami or a hurricane. And Jesus is there, and all he 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 says three words. It doesn't raise his voice. Silence. Be still. Just like that. Perfectly calm. We really have to use our imagination. I, I've never seen a man possessed by demons, uh, but somebody that is so strong that can't be contained. I think of, I think of the Hulk. Uh, some, some scholars will say that, that maybe there were 6,000 demons inside this one man. And Jesus, able to, um, to heal the demoniac just by speaking. by speaking. Jesus is a divine man of divine power. Why is this question so important? Why is the question, who is Jesus so important? I say this over and over and over again to my students, and I am, I'm sure they get tired of hearing it, but I think it all boils down to this. The more I know the real Jesus, the fullest, most complete picture of him, the more I know the real Jesus, the more I love him the more I fall in love with who Jesus is. And the more that I love him, the more I want to do the things that he wants me to do because that's how good relationships work, after all. And the more I do the things that he wants me to do, the better it is for me because he's Jesus and he knows what's best for my life. And so it all begins with how we answer the question, who is Jesus? And so here's my challenge to you this morning. Spend some time over the next month before Christmas reading through the Gospels. And maybe you've read them 50 times through before. But this time, approach these Gospels asking the question, how can I have a more complete picture of Jesus as I go through reading this? And I think, if you approach it with that attitude, that you might be able to find some things that maybe you hadn't noticed before. That your picture of, of Jesus might become more complete more complete. One last story from Mark chapter two as we get ready to close. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Some of the teachers of the religious law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. And so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or or stand up, pick your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick your mat, pick up your mat, and go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. Jesus is a divine man of divine power who has power over. The natural world has power over the supernatural world, has power over disease and sickness, has power over death, and most importantly, has power over sin. So as we approach the coming of a baby, born of a virgin, who is Emmanuel, who has the power over sin, may that stir within you an attitude of thankfulness and hope. Let's pray.